Good afternoon. Welcome to the Doris Davenport Show, all local, all the time. Doris caught the flu bug going around last week. She's feeling much better and taking it easy this weekend. She will be here next week continuing the conversation about the midterm elections. The Doris is out, so you know what that means. It's Black Muse Sunday on WCPT 820. Doris sat down with her longtime friend, Raymond A. Thomas, an award-winning artist, filmmaker, and noted creative director whose work can be seen in galleries nationwide. Today we'll hear that lively conversation that Doris conducted for the Black Muse podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Black Muse. Black Muse is where creatives from the worlds of jazz, hip-hop, gospel, politics, sports, fashion, theater, and literature engage in the lively art of conversation. My name is Doris Davenport, and I'm contributing host to the Black Muse podcast. I am so excited to bring to you today a man who I call a true Renaissance man. Everybody can't legitimately wear that label, but there are those men that we see. They start young, and as they age, they just keep getting better. And I've got one of those young men in front of me today. His name is Mr. Raymond Thomas. He's an artist. He's an author. He's a filmmaker. He's a graphic artist. He's a fine artist. And yes, the ladies say he is fine, but you judge for yourself. Wow. Welcome to Black Muse Podcast. How you doing Thank there, you. Raymond? I'm single, too, so I'm going to throw that out there while you get started. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm, you open up the door. We'll have to look, come I'm, back. I'm going to get some mail. I'm going to get some mail. I'm, I'm good, sister. Hey, how you doing? What's good? I'm good. It's a pleasure to interview you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much I want people to know about you. So out of the gate, full disclosure, I have known this man for a really, really long time. (laughs) I think we started working together back in 1988 at Johnson Publishing Company. And we've been friends ever since, meandering in and out of each other's lives. So I want to talk about that history. So let's really talk about this uh, journey of yours. Now, you know, and what I know about you is you're somebody who, as a little boy, even as early as two, three, and four years old, you were scribbling on magazines that your mom had in the home, Ebony, Jet. And what we're going to find out is that you came to be, come, the creative director of the very companies that published the magazines you were scribbling on at three and four years old. Yes. Yeah, when did you know that you were an artist? I've always known that I was an artist. I mean, all my life, um, as you stated, my mom kind of started, started seeing me scribble in magazines and books and things like that. And she's seen the, the talent. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. And um, I was a little nappy-headed boy who could draw. And all that was nurtured uh, through the years. Um, I was able to 
get a scholarship to the School of the Yard Institute in Chicago. And that was a blessing. And from there, I was hired by Johnson Publishing Company. Uh, but th- through all those little steps, there were nurturing and encouragement from my family and a great deal of uh, the village. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about that village. You are somebody who has been raised by some tremendous women. I understand that women are a species that really, in a way, is amused to you. <laughs> Tell me about your, your mom and your grandmothers. Um, wow, you know, uh, growing up in St. Louis, um, you know, St. Louis can be a very hard place. And uh, uh, my father, unfortunately, was not around. He was a, uh, a, drug, a drug addict. And um, so my mother and my grandmothers pretty much raised me uh, to be the man that I am. But these were some strong, super, super sisters, stronger than any dudes, any cats. I mean, these sisters were incredible. My mom was an activist in St. Louis in the community. My grandmother was a legendary uh, business owner and no nonsense. Uh, my mother's mother and my other grandmother, um, she raised all of her grandkids when her, her own children succumbed to uh, drugs and alcohol. So they were just these incredible women who, who uh, instilled in me the capacity to dream, intestinal fortitude to, to push on and uh, made me who I am. Yeah, yeah. So you really were one of these <laughs> when 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 I hear the artist tear up, making me tear up. Aww. already thinking about them sisters. That's right. That's right. When I think about the artist who sang, "I was born that way." You were born an artist. Yeah. I mean, that's you. You started out as an artist, and you've never looked back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I know that's special. I mean, everyone isn't uh, uh, able to. You know, a lot of people are grasping for what they want to do. I was never, I never had to do that. I always knew I would be doing what I'm doing. And the levels in which I've been able to do it, I, I attribute to the blessings uh, uh, of the creator and then all the uh, incredible ancestors in my family. But, you know, it was always an innate gift that that, that I had to, um, to make things. I consider myself a storyteller, a maker, and a transformer of spaces. So all of these things kind of are what I do. So when you were growing up and you were with your mom and your mom was an activist and you grew up around the time when the country, especially black America was all involved in the South African apartheid uh, protest movement. So uh, you watched your mother motivated by um, fighting for freedom. Yeah. My mom was, you know, always in the community in St. Louis, uh, all of the politics and things that were going on in there. She was always unengaged. And when I came to Chicago, um, I, I went to the School of the Art Institute. And at the time, they were uh, invested uh, in South Africa. So we, uh, right away, freshman year, I was into activism on those issues uh, that we seen that were wrong. Mm-hmm. as far as uh, that investment. And, you know, activism just comes naturally with me. Uh, my, what my, year were you at the Art Institute? I'm sorry. I started in 84, mm-hmm. uh, 1984. And, um, you know, for me, you know, my my abilities or my, my gift as an artist is, is, is directly tied into my burden and my love for my people. So... Mm-hmm. 
like I like I always say, the great sister Nina Simone said, an artist mm-hmm. must reflect the times. And for me, that's the most important thing is that I am reflecting the times. I am speaking for my people. I am uh, celebrating the triumphs and tears of our journey, you know, and me leading the Art Institute and going to Ebony Magazine was just a more uh, more potent way of going into that expression, you know, by going to this this uh, historic place that chronicles our history. And uh, so that was, you know, like crazy just just for me to go and continue that journey from there. Wow. You were at the Art Institute. Were you still affiliated with the Art Institute when that situation occurred with somebody hanging a picture of Harold Washington in our former mayor, Harold Washington, in lingerie? I, I was definitely still there. I was actually a senior at the time um, uh, that that incident occurred. That was in 1988. And uh, I was graduating. The actual artist was an actual classmate of mine. And he uh, <laughs> was a, a white artist. Mm-hmm. And he showed this painting of, of of the late great Mayor Harold Washington in uh, women's lingerie. Very disrespectful image. Very. And uh, we tried to warn him. We said, yo, y'all need to take this down. There's going to be some repercussions. And they didn't do it. And them aldermen came in there and snatched that thing off the wall like it was like it was no problem. And so it was oh my like, God, describe what happened. Nope, you know, a lot of people <laughs> listening to this may not have ever even read the story. It made national news. I mean, it was amazing yeah. uh, because you know it was just such a disrespectful image, and um, you know he had just died. So we we all were still very feeling it. And suddenly, yeah, yeah, we were all still in mourning. And so, you know, when the aldermen found out, now I don't know how they found out, but when they found out, man, they came in there and, and, and stormed in there and t- took it off the wall because they actually told them, the, they told the Art Institute to take it off the wall. And the art, the school of the Art Institute said, no, this is art, blase, blase. Oh. <laughs> and then the aldermen said, okay, and walked right in there and snatched that thing off the wall. So, um, you know, for us as black students at the time, I mean, the Art Institute, you know, was kind of like this love-hate relationship with me. I mean, I I definitely benefited from being a student there, uh, and I definitely uh, learned some things. But there was also uh, 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 this feeling that it's, it's the height of elitism. And for a black image maker uh, at the time particularly, the black image was not celebrated. So there was always this clash of culture and trying to, find out who I was as an artist of color in that space. And mm. so um, we, and there were always a lack of uh, representation as far as teachers and students as well. So we rallied to each other and we really, uh, at the time we, at, when the incident happened, we went and spoke. Um, we got on the radio and we went to Operation Push. There was national publicity mm-hmm. around it. And we voiced our, uh, not only our feelings about that, but uh, our, our overall feelings about the Art Institute, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And subsequently, we got a lot of things happening from that as far as more teachers hired, uh, more activations as far as uh, uh, a student, uh, a black student union and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we were effective in, uh, in what we tried to do there. That's amazing. I find that to be absolutely amazing. In fact, the year that I came to Johnson Publishing Company was 1987, the year Mm -hmm. he died. 
And I remember you hadn't started there yet, yeah. uh, but I remember distinctly, uh, I, I sat right at Bob Johnson's office and publisher of Jet Magazine, and they did not want the city, the government, the, the, did not want Bob Johnson to come to the funeral mm-hmm. because Bob Johnson, at the time, he had a, uh, he very much believed some people say it's a conspiracy and some people still mm. aren't quite sure, but he was one who yeah. still did not believe that Mayor Washington died of natural causes yeah. at the time. Yeah. And he actually despised the fact that they were trying to keep the black press out of the funeral. He did indeed end up going, yeah. but it took a string of. That's amazing. F words and every other language that I can imagine because I can see Mr. Johnson dropping some some F words because he was he was known to do that. He was known to do that, but you started a year later at Johnson Publishing Company. Yeah, so the interesting thing to tie that in is um, the incident with the painting when that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I we I was uh, called to a big auditorium. The, there was a school assembly, and the president of the, of the school at the time. Tony Jones uh, addressed the, the students there about the incident. And so somehow he mentioned Mr. Johnson's name, Johnson Publishing Company, and his friendship with the, co- the company, mm-hmm. and that uh, they, they had a, a kinship with the school and wanted to have uh, uh, black, young black designers. So I immediately stood up in the med- middle of this assembly of all the students and stopped <laughs> the whole assembly and said, yo, I am graduating in May. <laughs> I'm a graphic design student. I have won several awards here and I have a portfolio. And yes, I need to get hired by Mr. John H. Johnson. Oh my God, you did this. Yes, I did this. And everybody went crazy, of course. And so, but <laughs> subsequently, um, you know, I got an I got a, uh, interview with Tony Jones first. And then uh, he sent a letter to Ms. Foster, the head of personnel as well. Doris Foster. Mm-hmm. Ms. Foster. And, uh, Got an interview with Mr. John H. Johnson himself. Now, you know, we have to tell, hear this story because we all have our John H. Johnson stories. Yeah. So let's hear your interview story of how you <laughs> came. <laughs> it was, uh, so, so of course, imagine this young, nappy-headed boy from St. Louis <laughs> used to draw in the margins of the magazines and on the pictures yes. you know, as a child, standing in front of John H. Johnson himself in his building. So... And it, even as you were a budding artist, you used to cut out pictures I read oh, yeah. of, of, from, from Ebony and Jet magazine. Yeah, I, still, I still use uh, images to, to collage with from magazines or from all over, mm-hmm. all kinds of sources. But yes, I've always used that magazine uh, mm-hmm. as a source of, uh, of finding images to express my, in my artwork. So when I, I meet him, I go in and, and here he comes, biggest life. And uh, so he looks at my portfolio. Um, he looks at me and he says, um, so how much money you want to make? <laughs> was it, what's the price range? So I gave, him like wide, I gave him a wide price range. And then he said, you're hired money starting. This is your salary. And so that was it, man. And for uh, 25 years, I, I worked there. I started uh, as a graphic designer. And ended up as the creative manager, creative art director. And, uh, you know, it was amazing, amazing time. As you know, that place was this indescribable as far as the history. Uh, you know, you felt, the, you felt the honor to be there. And you also felt the mission 
of serving the community and black people around the world. And so for me to be in charge of the brand, the look, tone, and feel of the brand, and to be in charge of the magazines, Ebony and Jet, and what goes in there as far as the imagery, it's humbling, man. And it's, it's part of the journey. And, uh, you know, shout out to all of our JPC family and friends. We love y'all. The legacy continues. That's we'll right. Let, we'll never let it go. We'll keep on riding with Mr. J and his dream. I can absolutely say that of all the alumni groups I'm, I'm a part of, my favorite alumni group that I'm most proud to be a part of is the JPC alumni group. Yeah. Well, I mean, the years we sit together, I mean, <laughs> I mean, 20, 25, <laughs> 24, 25 plus years I was there. So yeah. that's a lot of years being around people. And then, you know, we worked tirelessly for hours and hours a day. So we were with uh, our coworkers more than our families a lot of times. So. People don't even realize that. My little brief story, because this is your interview, is when I first came to Johnson Publishing Company and Mr. Johnson said, well, what is there anything? I flew here from New York on a Monday. Mm. And he said, what's preventing you from starting tomorrow? Mm. And I said, mm. well, I need to find a place to live. He said, well, don't worry about that. I'll get you a room at the Hilton. I said, well, I mean, I can't just live at the Hilton. He said, why not? <laughs> and frankly, Raymond, I lived at the Hilton for one year. Wow. At Mr. Johnson's expense. That's Mr. J, man. That's Mr. J. Yeah, yeah. He was something else, boy. He would he would make it happen. You know, he he didn't believe in failure. Mm -hmm. He didn't believe in not being able to do something. And, uh, and that's one of the things I took away from him, you know, in my craft and in my practice as an artist and in life. You know, I don't believe – I believe you can do whatever you put your mind to. And I try to teach my mentor, my students – and any and, and all my young people that I work with, uh, yo, you know, there's no excuses. You know, has substance use or want. gambling taken over your life? Are you using substances or gambling to cope with difficult emotions or experiences? You may feel like you have to face life's challenges on your own in silence, but the reality is that we all need help sometimes. You are not alone. There's help available right here in your community at the Wayback Inn. The professional counselors at Wayback Inn can help you to heal and rebuild your family and your relationships, to live a new life in recovery from substance use or gambling. If you're looking for lasting change and a renewed lease on life, Wayback Inn is here to help. Begin your journey today. Visit waybackin.org. That's waybackin.org. This message is supported by the Proviso Township Mental Health Commission. Discover one of our community's unique resources, the Oak Park River Forest Community Foundation, www.oprfcf.org. The weather's getting warmer. Time to enjoy the outdoors, biking, hiking, sports. Pains and sprains. I hate venturing out. Let me give you something for that. A Band-Aid? The number to Dr. Victor Romano, 708-848-4662. I'll need a body cast. How about holistic healing? Can you explain that? Not as well as Dr. Victor Romano, 708-848-7662. One Erie Court, Oak Park. 
It's time for your sports update here on the Doris Davenport Show, all local, all the time. Uh, Doris and her Buffalo Bills are clinging on to dear life right now. They just tied up the game against the Minnesota Vikings, 30-30. to Just a couple seconds left on the clock. Should be heading to overtime in a wild one out in Buffalo. The Bears, in case you watched it earlier today, dropped a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. They ended up losing that game to the Detroit Lions, 31-30. to This morning, the first NFL game in Germany, uh, 21-16. The Buccaneers took down the Seattle Seahawks as uh, Tampa Tom was victorious. Quickly going over some of the uh, scores around the league. Titans beat the Broncos. The Giants beat the Texans. Chiefs beat the Jaguars. The Steelers beat the Saints. And some later games this afternoon. Tonight's games are Chargers at the 49ers. And tomorrow night we got the Commanders at the Eagles. The Chicago Bulls are in action tonight at the United Center looking to get back to 500 against the Denver Nuggets. The Blackhawks won last night against the Anaheim Ducks 3-2. They will be back in action tomorrow night at the United Center against the Carolina Hurricanes. And some college basketball uh, news. Not today, but tomorrow you have the UIC Flames in action, the Chicago State Cougars in action, DePaul Blue Demons, and the Illinois Fighting Illini. That is your sports update here for the Doris Davenport Show. Yeah, now you have that great nurturing and love from the women in your life, but there were some community organizations that helped you too as a young artist, weren't there? Yeah, I mean, I had, you know, like the, the resources, like I said, it takes a village. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, uh, when I, when I uh, came here to Chicago, uh, when I was at the Art Institute, you know, I, I went there at the Art Institute to, to be an artist. But I kind of uh, started, I went into the graphic design or visual communications department because I wanted a practical skill. Uh, but I never stopped creating and making fine art. And so I was always grappling with, with that. And so I found what, what the, 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 I found the school, uh, the Southside Community Art Center. Mm. Southside Community Art Center saved my life because I was going through that whole head game of, of blackness in these white spaces and, and they, when I found Dr. Margaret Burroughs, she said, no, son, you make your art, you know. And mm-hmm. she, she reaffirmed that for me and for a lot of us artists in this community. And we were able to say, yeah, I can make black images and I can be, and I can be, in, and if they don't accept it, we'll accept it. And my community can accept it. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what kind of got me fired up. And uh, and I've, you know, even at Johnson Publishing Company, I continue to to make and show and exhibit art, you know. Um, eventually, Mr. J and Linda they 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 uh, join in to uh, to to let me and ce- celebrate it with me. But you know, mm-hmm. there's always that tension in the beginning. Wait, is it going to be you or is this going to be about us? Yes, you know, like Mr. J said, you work with him, you work for him. So <laughs> that's right. I, but I, you know, see, I'm smart, so I I just let you know anything I did outside the company, I included JPC in it. And it was a bit. It was beneficial, beneficial for them, you know, mm-hmm. to have a, a award-winning artist, award-winning filmmaker, working for them. So mm-hmm. uh, after they seen that that was the case, they mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, said that uh, they were happy that, and, and they supported me. Actually, supported mm-hmm. me. Uh, you know, Linda, Linda particularly after Mr. J died, she, she supported me uh, in my efforts as a filmmaker. And mm-hmm. as an artist, she bought some of my work, and I painted a, a picture of Mr. Johnson after he passed that 
the humbly that they put in the lobby for years uh, when they took his portrait down and put my image of him that I created in the wow. lobby for years. So that was, so I come to work and see my work right there. Now that's beautiful. Yeah. And when you think about that, Raymond, there are um, people at Johnson Publishing Company that we will never forget ever, mm-hmm. ever. People that are just legends in their own of their own, but never appreciated, never celebrated. Who are some of those people that really made a difference for you? Well, speaking of just careers and mentors and artists, um, you know, uh, I had two that were like just stalwarts in my life and, and, and not only as mentor me as an artist, but as a man. And so uh, that was uh, uh, Mr. Norman Hunter and Mr. Mm-hmm. Herbert Temple. Norman Hunter uh, was a phenomenal genius level photographer, art director, designer. He was just yeah. ridiculously talented and the, one of the coolest brothers. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife were, were incredible people. They both have since passed. Yeah. And Mr. Temple, man, he was just, man, Mr. Temple was just incredibly talented illustrator painter mm-hmm. uh and the thing that mr temple does not get the credit about the most is that he was the curator of the johnson publishing art yes yes it that didn't just happen and what a collection it was and seeing that and, it, and i actually wrote something about this because everyone wants to come and claim and and take you know and celebrate it but you can't celebrate that without celebrating him because yeah. he was the one who brought the artist to Mr. J, mm-hmm. who brought the artist uh, and the art to the to the company to purchase. So uh, he is man, he is sorely uh, misrepresented in that in that arena as a curator. And um, but he was my boss. That was m- my boss, and and he was a phenomenal, phenomenal artist. And and one thing he always taught me, and I try to pass on to my uh, students when I teach or I mentor young artists is. Whenever you're in a space, you make yourself invaluable. You mm. make yourself needed. And that's whether you're an employee, whether you're in a conversation, whatever it is, you make yourself invaluable to uh, wherever you are. And um, you do that by, you know, going above and beyond. You know, mm-hmm. don't be satisfied to just be in any, any space. You make your energy and presence known. And uh, you work hard. You find out. You analyze. You see your situation. You take notes, you listen, and then you manifest what you need to do to to make that happen. Wow, that is beautiful. You know, there's so many young people who don't have that kind of mentoring. And -hmm. it's one thing for an older person to take a liking to you and mentor you in your skill set, but to teach you that world knowledge. You know, um, the Black Muse podcast is a production of the Chicago West Community Music Center, which really is a a composer without walls. It's a place where young people go to learn music, voice, string instruments. Um, I'll do a a promo for it in a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it's a phenomenal school. And um, actually, as I hear you talking, I would love to have you come and speak to the students. And it could be a Zoom session. Yeah, that's no, no. I do that all the time. I would love to, yeah. I mean, I think... mm -hmm. That's the most important thing uh, as far as my practice right now. Engaging youth is is a priority, almost priority number one, you know, because mm-hmm. I believe that ultimately this world is, is for them to change, you know, uh, for them to make right, for them to, uh, like I said, I always say reaffirm hu- the humanity of our people. Um, 
And so, yeah, I'm always interested in engaging you. Well, Howard and Darlene Sandifer will be very happy to hear that. And we have to really appreciate that because I know you talk about um, Hunter and Temple and we fondly call them by their last names, no disrespect intended at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were others, you know, mm-hmm. people look at Lerone Bennett, God rest his soul, oh God. his story. And I mean, my bond with Lerone Bennett is that I used to buy his vest, believe it or not. Yeah. I, because I used to do pick out all the fashions yeah. for all of our shoots for Ebony Man magazine. And whenever I could get my hands on vests, that was something he loved. But you, as a young man, were able to do something I couldn't do. And you had the opportunity every day to sit at a lunch table yeah. with some of the great legends. clients. Legends. Like, yeah, I mean, mentioned Bob, you mentioned Bob Johnson. Oh, my yeah. God. Bob was just an incredible, incredible human being. I've I seen, I seen stars. I mean, when the stars come in there, they just bow down to Bob. They loved Bob. Yes. You know, I'm talking about the biggest stars, Michael Jackson. All these people loved Bob. Whitney Houston, all of them, Teddy they Pendergrass. Loved, they loved mm-hmm. him. And so, and then Mr. Bennett, of course. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I have never uh, been more at all under respecting anybody, any man more than Mr. Bennett. I just thought he, yes. was, he was the smartest elegant coolest cat i've ever ever known you know and mm-hmm. he's just brilliant and and i just watch him how he would because we know mr j was the boss but you know to watch mr bennett this intellectual mm-hmm. work through all these different things in, 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 in that company it was just amazing and he was never i've never seen him upset never seen mr bennett mm-hmm. upset once you know, he knew how to use his mind. He, knew how he could to argue it. with words that yeah. never raised his voice. Never raised his voice. And uh, when he passed uh, not too long ago, it, it broke my heart. He was like, you know, uh, and, I, and I had the opportunity to, uh, to to eat lunch with them. Now, I don't know, I don't know how they allowed me into this circle. But, <laughs> I know. You know. You know, I mean, of course, people probably know that we we had a lunch room and everybody had their little assigned seats, which was kind of was was kind of weird, you know, but. <laughs> but, but, but ultimately, you know, I, I kind of, and I never, you know what, I never, I never abide by, the, by that. I would always, yeah. I'm an artist. I was one who was able to do what I wanted to do too. Yeah. I, and, you know, Mr. Mr. Johnson used to say, well, Raymond, an artist, you know, he used to let me get away with stuff. So uh, I would come there and I'd be sitting there with Mr. Bennett, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Mr. Temple and Bob, you know, sitting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as this little kid just listening to their stories, and they were talking mm-hmm. about politics and sports and music and mm-hmm. women and all kind of stuff. <laughs> That's why I couldn't sit there. Yeah, you could not. Nah, you couldn't sit there. You probably was part of the conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, we just we had a. It was just a, a great time, man. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I wish this new entity that, that has, who, who owns and operates the brand. I, I wish them mm-hmm. well, you know, uh, you know, I, I actually went on their website recently and they have a video of a cover shoot that our art director of uh, president, well, then Senator Obama and his wife, um, and Michelle. Michelle. And, uh, and the, it was cool to see, you know, I was, I didn't have all this gray hair. And stuff. I had my life. <laughs> Uh, they had me on a video, so it was cool to see mm-hmm. I was still connected in that way to the company. Uh, so, yeah, we wish them well. Well, that's really great. I think about um, Lerone, and Lerone 
lived his life on a mission about the narrative of black people. Mm -hmm. And when I look at your art and I'm going to take a moment um, and I would like to go through some of your artwork because what I see is someone hell bent on changing the narrative from a visual perspective. Uh, Before we even look at your art, where did this come from? Your, your, I would say even gall to think that you have the right to call out atrocities, to think that you've got the right to, you know, tell the world that they got the story wrong. Who are you? Who do you think you are? I'm my, I'm my grandmama's son. I'm Nan's Nan's son. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the son. That's Nan's boy. She used to call me soul man. I'm a soul man. That's who I am. So, uh, but you know what? I'll tell you with the, the incident that really, really pushed me forward in, in my current path. And, uh, you know, I was working at Johnson Publishing at the time. I was married and raising my daughter. And, you know, I was pretty busy. You know how uh, demanding the job is. I had stopped actually painting and making art. You know, when I, when I came to work, I mean, I was showing my art at the Art Institute. When I came to work at Johnson Publishing Company, I kind of stopped because it was just, you know, overwhelming. And I, I wanted to devote myself on being indispensable. So I, I, I really went in hard and stopped painting and stopped creating. But the Million Man March, when the Million Man March happened, I said, I got to go. I got to be there. I got to see what this is. This is, so I went to the, I took off work. I said, I'm going to the Million Man March. I went to. So, so they said, cool, you can go. And so uh, uh, I didn't go there representing the company. I just went on my own. And so, man, of course, it was the most incredible thing I've ever experienced almost. I mean, you could feel this palatable uh, uh, yeah. feeling of love and respect from black men to black man. And uh, it was, and it lasted for a while. You know, even when I got back to Chicago, I could still feel that love. But, but what it did for me, it was like, okay, I need to try to help bring about this feeling every day. Mm. This, this is the way we should feel about each other every day. This yeah. shouldn't just be an anomaly, you know, a one-time thing. So I thank the minister uh, Farcon for that, Minister Farcon for that, for making it happen. Uh, because that yeah. was, I don't know what it meant for anybody else, but I know what it meant for me. And so it triggered to me, like, I need to start getting back to making and making my art and making uh, and changing spaces and telling my stories. And so I started to study at the Art Institute. I took uh, filmmaking classes and and the playwriting classes. So I thought, what can be the most impactful medium for me to affect change? And film, I thought, is the most impactful medium because it's it's visual, it's music. So I started back to, um, you know, studying film. And I I studied, I went to panels and took classes and, studied on my own for about three years. I went to all the film festivals all over the world mm-hmm. and got to know the ins and outs of, of the business. And then I started to write and I uh, wrote my first film. Uh, Which Charles by the way, won many, many awards, even yeah. in the UK and Ireland and yeah. places yeah. that people here don't really think about. Yeah. I was humble. Like to see uh, the, my story, the film was called 12 minutes it was about a death row inmate whose last wish was to meet his son. And the film went everywhere, everywhere on earth. And uh, I mean, I, I showed it in Asia and everywhere. So, mm-hmm. so um, you know, we, wrote, we worked, we made that film. 
and it was all about, you know, and I needed a painting for the film. Mm-hmm. I needed, at the end of the film, there was a, a piece of art that was supposed to show. And I had all these artist friends. I was like, yo, I need this painting. I need this painting. And no one could turn it around at the time I needed it. I was like, well, I'm an artist. Like, let me get in here and do this. And I went and I closed for two days. I worked on this painting and nothing else and banged out this painting. And it changed my, there was another moment where, okay, I was like, I forgot how it feels to be in the studio and to be channeled like that and to feel the need to, to create like that. And once I did that, I never turned back. I never stopped making work. That was probably, what was that? 1996 or something. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But, uh, from that second on, I continued to uh, to make to make fine art and again. And I often tell people, like, <laughs> as successful as the film 12 Minutes was, me being back in that studio, I mean, me being back in that room and creating for mm-hmm. two days got me back to in the studio. So all the, the fine art you've seen yeah. came from that. So, And there's a lot of it. And it is absolutely powerful. And I think about it, and I'll keep saying it, you know, the importance of mentors, because you had the gift of Lerone Bennett on the one hand, teaching you the duality of being working for a corporate and yeah. still doing your own thing. And I still say he laid the path for you because Mr. Johnson just did not allow that. Yeah. And Mr. they were Bennett, very. Mr. Bennett uh, collected my work too. He collected. I, I, my work. I'm not surprised. And I'm glad the family, you know, after he passed, a lot of his things were, uh, you know, given or sold or whatever. Auctioned, yeah. Yeah, which broke my heart. I actually, <laughs> I call the people, I call, you know, and, uh, but I understood joy, you know, but they kept my artwork. The family has my artwork. They told me we have your artwork. So I wanted to make sure that was the case. Uh, but yeah, that's great. And then you had Mr. Temple who really taught you the business of art, you know, um, so that you can do those things. I want to talk about, um, I want to start looking at some of your art and I, I, I would like you to share with us your thoughts about when I go to Africa, and frankly, my very first, um, I, I would say, entrance into black art, I was really, when black, especially African art, it was always so grotesque. Mm-hmm. Um, the features, the imagery. Uh, it wasn't until I um, met a friend of mine here who he and his wife collected black art years ago in my early days. And he had an African art collection, unlike anything I've ever seen. It was all sculpting, mm-hmm. but these were beautiful sculptures of black faces and bodies. And I had just never seen that mm-hmm. level, uh, that quality mm-hmm. of black art. You understand intellectually and emotionally the yin and the yang of the, of the black art, you know, from the, from the grotesque side to the, talk to me about that. Um, and why do you think black black images are shown in such hideous fashions often? Well, I don't, I don't, well, for me, I just you know um, my mission when I think about what I do, what why I do what I do, a lot of it is revolves around making sense of this world, you know. And I and I and I often speak of um, you know. There's a tenant in the seminal artist group collective, Africobra, and one of their tenants is um, 
capturing the absolute naturalism with absolute abstraction and molding those together. That's a tenet of theirs as far as what what it makes beautiful art. And so for me, I think about molding the absolute bliss with the absolute hardness or grotesqueness of our existence, molding those together and finding what is in that truth, you know? And so, because that's the kind of life we live in those times. We live in these times where there are just some horrific things that happen to us as human beings and particularly as African-Americans and black and brown people all, all over the world. But then we have the beauty, the beauty of our family and friends and children and so, and the love for our loved ones and our, our women and our, and the love we have for each other as men and women, you know, uh, we got to keep that. We got to keep talking about that. We got to keep explaining that. I have a piece that's called the moment of two people kissing. And that piece uh, is people that people, that people have really galvanized to that piece because, um, you know, it's important to talk about love and, uh, but it's also important to talk about the atrocities and to show the atrocities as well. So that's, a, so that's what I try to do with my work. I try to do both. And I mean, people who are interested, you guys, I mean, really go to um, uh, RaymondThomas.com. What's the name of your website? Uh, my website is RaymondAThomasStudios.com. So that's Raymond A. Thomas Studios with an S dot com. And uh, you can find all my information there. Uh, if you're interested in some work, you can go to my art. And if there's nothing available, you can uh, you can contact me and have a studio visit here in my studio in Chicago in Bronzeville. Uh, I take any uh, I take uh, appointment only um, visits, and uh, yeah, we can see see what we can uh, do for you. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just humble, sister, to be able to to create and um, to be and try to be a blessing to my community. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been crazy. I have so much stuff going on. It's like, you know, it's like so much going on. Like, like tonight I'm, I'm, I'm in a, a group exhibition uh, called uh, it's called let's get funky. It's a celebration of blues music in uh, Beverly neighborhood in Chicago. And uh, I'm also working on a uh, cover for the magazine in these times, which is a, a 50, 50 year old, 50 plus year old uh, political magazine. Very <laughs> impressive. Very impressive. And that is a commission piece you're working on. Yeah. So that'll be the cover. Uh, and there's a black lives matter issue. The black lives matter organization is like a takeover of this issue mm-hmm. and uh, asked me to do this cover. So I'm humbled to have that assignment and, yeah, man, it's just things are coming, you know, and we're just uh, moving. So what I'm excited about is your future. Mm-hmm. When I think back at the past of all that you've accomplished, you are the kind of man. Well, that's one of the things that makes a Renaissance man. It's not just, you know, being so well-rounded and knowledgeable in different things, but it's also being able to be a couple of steps ahead of the game. Right. Um, so you are now working on you're still doing the things that you've always done, but you're working on a whole nother area too now. Tell us about this heroism project and, and the types yeah. of products that may come of it. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got two major, two major projects that I'm working on now. Um, 
One is heroism, and heroism is my new uh, art wearable and merchandise uh, company and brand. And so it's coming to you soon. You'll be able to go online and order art wearables, meaning T-shirts and hoodies and other things that uh, are um, with my art and my brand on it. And, uh, and you'll also be able to buy limited edition prints and uh, images of my artwork. And, uh, and it's not, this, this heroism is not just about you wearing my T-shirts or wearing my art. It's really about examining the notions of what it is to be a hero in these times. And the idea of heroism, you know, it means to, to exclaim who you are in these times. Um, because we have a lot of, uh, <laughs> we have a lot of multimedia explosions of showing us in negative, negative ways. And so with heroism, we want, we want to, again, reaffirm our humanity and we want people to think of themselves and what they're doing for their community. Even if it's just taking care of your kids, you know, what is it that, that you find heroic about your own journey? And, uh, and that's what we want to, um, do with the brand is to, to empower people to be heroes. That is absolutely phenomenal. (laughs) I have to say, when I think about this past year with all of the deaths that we've had, the black community, in fact, the world has been through a lot with the passing of George Floyd. I think when we really think about everything, all the police shootings, nothing prepared us for watching a murder in front of our very eyes, live and in living color. And I would think that this is a time when a lot of artists might just be overwhelmed with explosions of work and creativity and slapping that paint on the canvas. What was your experience during this time of? Well, you know, it was funny, like right when COVID happened, when we, when everything started to shut down, I had just had a, I had just came back from Africa, you know, and and then right after that I had a South African and then I uh, had a major show uh, with the Deltas and then COVID hit. And so I was just like, wow, I need to take a break. You know, I need to, and, and what, it, what it did for me, first of all, I just, I just took it in everything that was happening, you know, cause first you had the COVID and then you had brother George Floyd, you know, and, 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 and Breonna Taylor. And so when all these things were happening, you know, it was just a lot going on. So, I had to like go inward, you know, I had to take a spiritual journey and, 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 and just think about what it is we were doing, you know, and I actually started working more as an activist, trying to get people organized and thinking about, and, 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 and thinking about the youth as far as what we need to do as a people, you know? Um, and then I started to think about the next phase of my practice as an artist and what I wanted to do. And that's kind of where I am now which is like this explosion of stuff that's, that's happening. Uh, uh, my, 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 my response to this last year is my next show that will be in October at Blanc gallery in Bronzeville. And the show is called portal and portal is about basically examining what it is. A portal is okay. A portal is a, a doorway to another space time, uh, dimension possibly and coupling that with the idea of Sankofa, which is to to reach back into your past to bring something forward to your future. So 
for me, the idea of what this show will be about, it will be about examining the possibilities of what, what happens when we go through portals or if we become portals and what we bring back mm-hmm. mentally, spiritually, and physically to be a blessing to us in these times. Mm-hmm. So the work will manifest that type of energy and what that means, you know. Um, and we were talking, I was talking, I think we were talking about the whole idea of vibrations and us, us as black people, you know, I believe that, you know, we're all, all human beings, all, all matter is made up of the same stuff all over the, all over the cosmos. It's all the same stuff, but there's a particular energy to everything. So as, as black people, I believe blackness has a certain vibration that's unique in the cosmos. And I think a lot of times, you know, people who don't have or understand that blackness or that vibration, they demonize it and they, and they try to take it, they they try to kill it. They try to steal it. They try to marginalize it, but for our ability to understand it and use it for our growth and power. Exactly. They try to diminish it, you know, as far as uh, us, you know, exactly that understanding its potency to move us forward. So what I try to do in my practice is reaffirm that and uh, let people know, yeah, this frequency is something that you need to, to, to meditate on and understand that your blackness is a, is a power and it's an energy that, that, that can transcend all of the negativity that's going on in your life, you know, mm-hmm. and it can push you forward to, to those things you want and need to be a blessing here in this plane of reality. So. Amazing. I want to take a moment now <clears throat> and just give um, a little bit of information about Chicago West community music center. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is a Chicago West community music center production. Um, the organization was formed to provide high quality music instruction and community performances to reduce the music-related achievement gap between minority and non-minority students and between economically disadvantaged students and their more advantaged peers. The mission of the organization is to enhance families and community through music. The vision is to see an ongoing improvement in the economic, intellectual, and social condition of the West Side communities within and nearby Chicago through education and training in the arts. Our impact, and I say our because I'm a proud board member, have been for three plus years now, uh, to stimulate the personal and educational growth of the young people in our arts program so their full potential is within reach. And we have an exchange program pre-COVID where we send our kids to China and um, our China's Chinese partners send their kids here. And we have a week-long exchange program of instruments and music and composition. And we send our kids to Paris as well. We're looking to broaden that to other places like Brazil. And funny, you mentioned the Dominican Republic. But we want, we're interested in broadening their horizons as young musicians. Mm. Um, That's awesome. Ricardo Muti, who is the uh, conductor of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, has taken a special interest in our kids. He's been out and conducted two public rehearsals already. Um, He's coaching one of our young students in opera. Mm -hmm. And he's just been a great, great friend to the program uh, in ways that we just love. Mm -hmm. And you are listening to uh, Black Muse, which is a weekly 30-minute video podcast series exploring the rich genealogy of Black culture. 
It's hosted by my friends, Clarence Waldron and David Houston. And it's created and produced by Howard Sandifer for Chicago West Community Music Center. And funded, funding support comes from the Driehaus Foundation. I am so happy, Raymond Thomas, that we have been able to conduct this interview. What is it that you would like people to know about Black art, why it's important to invest in Black art? What I tell people about you is that it's important to invest in artists like Raymond Anthony Thomas, Mm -hmm. who really is driven by, you know, the desire to change the narrative Mm -hmm. of how Black people are depicted in the world. Well, I mean, yeah, I I thank you, sister. I appreciate that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm real humble about my journey, man. It's been... For me, it's been enchanting, and uh, but I'm I'm not done. You know, I feel like I have a lot to do. Uh, I will say, let me. I wanted to go back uh, and let you know I'm also the uh, the creative deck, the creative director for the Jazz Institute of Chicago. Uh-huh. So I'm also affiliated with a musical organization. Jazz is a muse of mine too. You know, jazz music is big, all music, but jazz music is very integral and in my application and what I do. So I wanted to mention that in conjunction with the, the music uh, entity that you're working with. But uh, Definitely. My wheels are spinning the moment you said yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Heather, Heather Island Robinson is the uh, director, a good friend of mine, and she's dynamic and, and great and there might be some partnership there, might be some synergy. You know? I will definitely be asking you shout to do it. Shout out to the Jazz Institute of Chicago. Gotta say That's right. People. But, um, you know, yeah, as an artist, man, you know, I would tell people, man, this is a great, great time to collect black art to uh, now. It's funny, you know, the black image is not being as demonized now. You know, you see a lot of black artists getting national shine and, and uh, global shine. Uh, we got some Chicago. I put Chicago at the top of anybody's list as far as dynamic, progressive artists. Uh, me personally, I'm working, I work with the uh, Bronzeville Arts District. And, you know, we usually have our trolley tour. So we're going to be having our trolley tour, but it's going to be uh, virtual and uh, regular. So people will be able to come into our spaces and partake in seeing art from all of the different organizations. And it's the bl- biggest black arts district in the country. So we have the uh, Gallery Gachard, Blanc Gallery, uh, Phase Gallery, we have the Southside Community Arts Center, and we have the uh, Bronzeville Artist Loss where we are. Uh, and so all of these entities are within a mile radius, and they're all showing uh, black art and the art of the uh, African di- diaspora. So and uh, it's it's a great, great thing that's going on. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's time to, 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 to get some art and artists as we know, it's valuable. Uh, you know, it, it is. Uh, it's an appreciable. It appreciates you own it, but it's something you can give to your kids, pass down, uh, makes your life more beautiful. To have something in your house and home that you know means something. So yeah, I would encourage everyone to buy and own original uh, art by African American artists. It's important. And we have already decided that um, sooner rather than later, after that next uh, big show, I'm going to have um, a beautiful Raymond Thomas 
piece that's going to be my uh, my calling card. <laughs> Raven Thomas, I thank you so much for being our guest on Black News Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Peace and blessings, y'all.